0: On this episode of AI and AV, AI security and how to leverage AI in meeting spaces. All that and more next on AI and AV. This is AI and AV, episode two, digital debt. We are taking a gander once again at the world of AI and AV. I guess we will call this part two uh, with us, uh, just like last time, is Marion Corrigan. Marion is from Microsoft. Welcome, ma'am.
1: Thank you. Glad to be here and glad to be back. It was a fun conversation last time. We had a lot to talk about. So
0: We did. And we at the end of it, we said, we're not, we ain't done yet. So we're going to do more of these. Um, so I'm glad to have you back. Thank you, ma'am. Uh, Tober Munn is from 22 Miles. Welcome, sir.
2: Hello. Thank you. Thanks for having me again. Excited to see what more I can uh, come out of my, my mind for you guys in this new space. <laughs>
0: I'm interested as well, Tomer, and I'm just saying that because I know I'm you.
2: I'm very interested,
0: too. Um, and last but not least, a young man I got to spend uh, a few days with in Denver at Cedia and CI Expo, Alex Caposalatro from Josh AI. Welcome, sir.
3: Thanks. Great to be back.
0: Uh, Alex, we will start with you on this. I-, I mentioned the fact that you and I hung out at, at – at C- actually, I-, I don't think I saw you, but you and I were both at Cedia and CI Expo in Denver. If you're not familiar with either show, Cedia is – the residential version of Invocom, right, is, is the best way to put that. Lots of home technology. Josh, AI was there certainly in force. Um, you also uh, keynoted and 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 kind of uh, anchored a panel and a discussion, a pretty lengthy discussion, right uh, right before the show about AI. One of the things I want to get into this time around is how AI has the potential, or as maybe it already is, transforming users generically, right? And, and, you know, we'll start with, with residential and and how it it transformed user experience in the home, but we'll certainly get into the corporate side. But from your standpoint, how is it transforming how users, you know, interact with and experience technology?
3: It's a great question. And there are so many different angles. I'm trying to think of, you know, where to start from this and and I'm just going to ramble. I'll try to keep it somewhat short, but I'm curious what the other panelists might want to chime in with as well. So for me, the the big thing is we've had AI, and we talked about this last time, we've had AI for a long time, really since the 50s. This is a different AI today. This is not grandpa's artificial intelligence. The AI we have today is really colloquially being termed generative AI. It's really the first time that we're seeing systems making new recommendations, coming up with new information, new photos, new videos, new text. And so when you think about where that's leading, there are a few different ways that I see that really impacting not just the end user, but also the installer, the person setting up the systems. The first of which is voice control has been just, it kind of grew and then it plateaued a little bit. Now I think we're gonna see another really big growth spurt in the home because you're not limited to simply asking for a timer or asking for weather information. You can ask for really interesting questions and the system's gonna figure it out. So one of the examples that I just wanna share with the group because for me, it is it is sort of the epitome of, of how interesting AI is getting. So I wanna share an example of what you can do with really any of the GPT technologies, but in this case, this is specifically GPT-4 from OpenAI. And the reason I wanna give this example is not that it's exactly what someone might say to their home, but to show that if you don't even know the exact question to ask, you can still get an an interesting answer. So let me just read this to you. A prompt that someone gave was, Michael is at that really famous museum in France looking at its most famous painting. However, the artist who made this painting just makes Michael think of his favorite cartoon character from his childhood. What was the country of origin of the thing that the cartoon character usually holds in his hand? That is pretty abstract. There's a lot of reasoning and connections that the AI has to figure out The response to this, which as we all know, comes within about a second or so, it's very fast, was Michael is likely at the Louvre Museum in France. So that really famous museum, it's assuming it's the Louvre, looking at the famous painting, the Mona Lisa. So it knows that the Mona Lisa is the most famous painting there, which is all making sense to me, which was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. If the artist makes him think of a favorite cartoon character from his childhood, he might be thinking of the character Leonardo from Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. In the show, Leonardo usually holds a pair of katana, which are traditionally Japanese swords. So the country of origin of the thing the cartoon character usually holds in his hand is Japan. The reason I love this example is because the speed with which it can do logic and reasoning, you can start to think about how this applies in your everyday life. You forgot the exact name of that thing or that person or that movie or that song but you wanna still get the right thing to happen, the systems are able to do some pretty abstract reasoning and the ways that this can be applied, I think we're just at the very early stages of uncovering the potential.
0: All right, just for the record, you had me until Da Vinci because at that point now, I I should've caught on to Leonardo. I would've gone to pizza is what's in his hand, not the Katanas. Um, Really quickly, Alex, you said something there a second ago that caught me. By surprise, you said that this is not your grandpa's AI because we've had, had AI since the 50s. Briefly explain that to me because that's not how far back I would have given it.
3: Yeah. So let me just quickly um, get an exact date. But the term artificial intelligence.
0: You're going to go back to Turing, aren't you?
3: <laughs> no, just the, the term. So John McCarthy is the one who founded the term. Uh, or, sorry, 1952. Author Samuel um, termed AI. And then in 1955, it was John McCarthy who basically kind of publicized and popularized the term. And at the time, the idea of AI was really any system using a computer in some form to simulate a human's way of thinking. And so okay. we've, had, we've had AI for a while, but just to give a, a very quick, very quick sort of history lesson, AI is the overarching term that everything else we talk about applies to but the thing that allowed ai to really get interesting in the modern world was then machine learning and machine learning is basically a subset of ai that okay. allows the system to use data to you know do these complex tasks but machine learning is still an overarching category of a more granular topic called deep learning and deep learning is the thing that enables all of the stuff we're talking about and so i just want to kind of get a you know, Grandpa's AI might have been rule-based logic and reasoning from computers. Today's AI is really more about deep learning and artificial neurons.
0: Marin, um, you and you and actually all three of you guys are manufacturers, and, and certainly let let Alex jump in on this as well. Microsoft has made made a lot of noise. I'm going to say in the last nine months, you could correct me there, but I, it feels like nine months since ChatGPT came to the forefront and and you know basically exploded. Come the first part of 23. From a user experience, and this is more in the corporate and, and commercial area, not just from Microsoft standpoint, certainly comment on that, but, but from your standpoint, as well as a technologist, how are you seeing, you know, the user experience changing with AI?
1: You know, it's interesting because it's like, uh, it's so many things converging at the same exact time. It's not only the fact that AI and we've got this deep learning capability, but I think that, you know, I'm so deeply embedded in, in, in work technology. Um, there's been so much that's changed in how we work in the last couple of years, as well as the amount of, of interaction that we have with technology. So when you think about the digitization of basically everything, everything has become, become digital over the last several years. Think about all the meetings that we do. We do five times the number of meetings that we used to. Um, it's just digital overwhelmingness, I would say, and the inability for us to really process that and be productive. So it's, it's a need, I would say, that comes at the same time as a really amazing technology that sort of meets that need. So it's, it's two really big convergences of a problem and a solver coming at the same time. And I think AI is allowing us the opportunity to deal with that, what we're calling it, digital debt. Um, digital debt is costing us the ability to be more creative and happy in our jobs. Um, at at times costing us innovation. We're spending time, you know, reading emails instead of creating. I think we talked about that the last time. Um, so we're looking for a way, a new way to interact. Like I think Alex touched on it. There's so much more data available there, but you know, how often do we sort of struggle? Like, I know I've got a file somewhere in my email Let me look, I know it was maybe in September, I'm going to search for it. How nice would it be if it just pops up when I start talking about that particular topic with that particular person? That is a new capability that is is possible today. Um, And these are all things that AI has made possible, and I think it's just the beginning. Um, It's touching so many different areas. The way we're looking at it is it's more of a general purpose tool, that literally every single industry is touching every single day. Um, And we are looking at it is not like a machine that's just gonna do everything for us. It's more of a assistant. It's it's co-pilot is what we're calling it. So we've got at Microsoft, Microsoft security co-pilot, Microsoft sales co-pilot. Like you've got a co-pilot in everything that you do. And it's a nice way to think about it because it's not taking over for the human. It's just assisting you in the work that you're doing every day making you more creative, more productive and it's up leveling you as a person to be able to accomplish your job in a more meaningful way, which I think is what everybody wants at the end of the day.
0: tell me one of the things about 22 miles and the the space that you guys are in you, you've got inherently a creative need right when you start talking about digital signage and and you know when you look at it from a, a user standpoint and this can be the people that are consuming your the content or it's the people that are creating it. How are you seeing, you know, large language models and, and generative AI, you know, impacting the user experience?
2: Um, it, it's definitely even for us changing fast. Um, every day, we're finding out other features that we didn't even think about. That our partners are be like, "Oh, can we use it in this retail environment?" You're know, like, uh, "Yeah," and then they're. Um, even we're talking to BrightSign right now, right? And and they're, they're asking us to connect with their other peripherals and creating this bundle for all of their big, big retail clients that they have 50,000 devices out in the marketplace for. And then they want to talk about what products they have by just talking. And then we can do AI training to just do the rest for you. Um, so, um, it's, it's new and fresh for us. So that's why when I started before we even started recording, I'm like, hopefully I can come up with some good stuff. Cause it's, it's so new for me. I just learned something new from, from everything Alex said. And that was intriguing. And I was like, wow, I, I, I want that excerpt that he just read. That was awesome. Um, yeah. but, um, we're even taking it to the next step because we're learning ourselves of everything we can use with open AI and we're creating our own AI support system now where we're all of the RFPs that we've submitted to in the past, all the security questionnaires we've answered and had to re-answer over and over again. We're, we took all that data and we're um, compiling that and doing our own in-house AI training capability to be able to create our own AI support experience also allow us to do our own. RFPs without ever having to do questions again, all of that will already be regurgitated from every other document we've put together in the past. Um and then on top of that, we've realized that a lot of these organizations, including the retail environment, don't want or don't trust technically the chat GBT of the world um, or or from a from a security, right? Like it could the they, they don't want their private data being put into a public domain. So we're now creating our own in-house AI training server. So it could be more of an enterprise level experience that then is more comfortable to use, more secure, but then also in-house learning within their server database environment. So we're changing things on a daily basis um, based on what we're finding, the trends, the, the feedback, and even learning from our peers. And our team is savvy and agile enough to to just learn from mistakes or learn from things that might not make sense in six months and they're they're moving fast and the whole ai experience is just blowing up quickly and we're excited about it so there's new new innovation from content on the internal side for us and then everything that we're able to then push out to the marketplace and we're doing it quickly
0: Marin, um Tomer actually has teed up our, one of our, our other topics rather nicely, so we're gonna go there. Uh and that's that's the realm of security, right? You you've got uh um, must not be coy here. Open AI and, and Chat GPT specifically is is an open is, is open to the public, right? Whatever you type in there, somebody else can find. Now, I am not smart enough to find what Maren types in, mm-hmm. but somebody is, right? So let's talk for a second about security of large language models. Let's talk about the pros and cons and of ev- of doing something like a public, let's call it you know OpenAI or whatever, or versus a a private large language model where you've got it on on site or you're using somebody's cloud server to do it up. Uh, but but overall, Maren, what when we talk about the security of AI generically, but really, you know, deep learning or large language models, what are we talking about here?
1: Yeah, so it's, I mean, I think that's the first and foremost thing you need to talk about before you even, you know, get into the world of AI, you really need to do some hard look at data governance. Um, You know, AI is leveraging your data as well as other sets of data. Um, You know, do you want all of your data exposed to everybody in the globe? No, most likely not. As a company, that's not good. Um, So working with AI tools that are protected and where your data is your data, and even within your own company, you might not necessarily want, you know, somebody on the sales floor to have access to the CEO's transcript from their meeting. Um, So protecting data circles and really doing the work um, internally to do that data governance conversation, who can see what, when, why, how, what, what, what topics and folders are accessible, which are not uh, which meetings can be recorded and which meetings cannot. Like those are all really important conversations that really need to be happening now. Uh, another really interesting thing is um, you know, you'll start to see in um, you know, in teams meetings, if you go to share a document that is protected, um, the people that are in the meeting will just see black. they won't actually see the document because it's protected. Um, these are all, I think really amazing benefits to the AI conversation that are happening right now. It's a really, Um, big propeller for people having this security conversation. And you can't do Microsoft Copilot with having all of these governance conversations first. So we've done a lot of work over the last four or five, six months ourselves, focusing on those conversations, preparing everybody for the introduction of Copilot. But what's interesting is in the news, you'll see every company across the globe is talking about whose data is what. If I'm doing a meeting, you know, does the platform own my data? Do they not? Uh, we've been very clear about who owns the data. It is the, you know, the owner of the license that owns their own data. And I think every single T and C that you look at, it's going to be important to look at who owns that data and how you interact with that particular tool. I myself have been doing a closer look at, you know, you click the button, yes, accept. You got to pause. You got to pause, especially if, if it's monitoring and tracking all of the things that you're doing within that platform, and then using it for something else later on. Um, it's a really important conversation. So,
3: Yeah, I just want to add really quick, it's also a very fast moving space. So just two weeks ago, OpenAI introduced their enterprise chat GPT. I wanted to make sure I got it right. So I quickly just pulled up exactly how they uh, they describe it. Get enterprise grade security and privacy and the most powerful version of chat GPT yet. They're basically talking about, we understand that security and privacy are important. Now, do you trust them is sort of the bigger question. But if you do trust them, they're claiming this is the way to have your data utilizing, you know, chat GPT in a safe way. Okay. And this is going to be different two weeks from now. It's changing so quickly.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: Yeah.
1: One thing I'll just point out, like, um, you know, we just introduced Bing chat, where you can use basically ChatGPT embedded. So if you go into the search bar and go start typing something, if you go into the chat section, you can start interacting with the tool. Um, several months ago, that was sort of open and anybody could see it. Now I'm on the secure private version. It's got a little lock signal next to it that lets me know that I am interacting in my own corporate protected space. Anytime I put in there, I get a little flag that says, hey, this is a protected space. So. That is an important thing to look for, too. Um, You don't want to just be using an open chat GPT if it's really confidential information. um, Check yourself before you wreck yourself, would be the the phrase there.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and and I don't know if any of you watch uh, Black Mirror or have watched it in the past. Uh, If you haven't, uh, do not watch the very first episode that involves the prime minister, but watch the most recent uh, season. Because the TNC is hundred percent in that, right? And and you've got, Marin, you're right. We we have all been guilty for years of just clicking and going because I need or I want the piece of software, right? Um, absolutely, Tomer. Let's let's talk about this for a second. You you're the one that brought up right security. Um, you know when whether it's you guys or whether it's your customers, uh, and each of those, you know, they all have proprietary. Uh, content they have copywritten material right whether it's the, the content that they've created or it's content that they are capturing for for their their clients how do you, how are you guys going about you know making sure that as you're leveraging AI for these systems that your stuff is secure my project manager just told me uh,
2: yesterday that uh, one of the federal agencies we're working with, and we're still in the project management stage of building their content. They're giving us their data. We're going through design approval processes with them. Um, they and so we've been using the read.ai and, and the Copilot. We're, we're we're playing with both, um, and so we want we, we've been we've been enjoying the transcripts that are coming out of that, and and they said we're not allowed to use that. But we are allowed to record video but they don't trust the 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 transcripts because it is a public domain and they don't want their data on screen or anything to be published within that but yet the video recording they trust us to only share with them and us internally and it's it's just it so it's interesting mm. it, it's mm. kind of backwards a little bit um but again it's a federal agency and i and they do things backwards. I'm not saying which one, because it's a client, and I don't want them to be mad at me. Um, but uh, but yeah, um, you know, bureaucracy at its best. Um, but um, I, yeah, I think people are still very hesitant. They don't know what they don't know, and I think it's so new. Um, they need more Alexes of the world to kind of explain this stuff to them. You know, and with a nursery rhyme scenario, um, and um, and so I think we we've got a, a long. Ways to to go to prove people out, and and we've already had some backlash, and that's why my team is developing this in-house um, AI training server. So we could go to market a little bit faster with people that are not fully comfortable yet with the public access of, of ChatGPT or the open AI. So we're not trying to stop the innovation and we're not trying to stop the rollout that we're doing. And we're not Microsoft, right? Everyone trusts Microsoft in some capacity. 22 miles is a very small minnow. Um, so um, we're trying to, to really make a dent in the space. And so that's why we're, we're gonna be going both ways, right? We're gonna be leveraging as much as we can Chat ChatGPT from an open perspective but then also building something in-house that is able to be fundamentally as strong with leveraging some of the open AI, but within a closed database environment, and then selling that off to people so they could have either option available. Um, But artificial intelligence is definitely our focus, and it's definitely – where we see everything heading to simplify everyone's world as we were referencing. And I really like that digital debt perspective as well. I think we're all in the the hole of all of our digital assets and going through that. So I think this is definitely the, the way to make things more seamless for users of any type.
0: Uh, Alex, really, really quickly. I'm not going to ask you about, you know, you can talk about Josh AI, but really as you're talking with other manufacturers and other technology companies, how are you guys or how are you advising other folks, or how are you you know leading Josh AI when it comes to making sure that that y'all's you know secure your your systems and your information is is secure while still leveraging this technology?
3: It's funny, it's such a not new problem for us that we don't really think about it a lot. I mean, just to give you a quick example, we've run all of our natural language processing for years on our local servers but when you ask about weather information, we go to a weather API. When you ask to stream music or video content, we go out to different you know, cloud-based APIs. If you want the stock price, you know, same thing. And so we've always had this approach that we keep all the real information on the local servers. We then go up to our sort of secure cloud. We anonymize the packet of information that needs to go out to a third party. And then when we bring that back, there's very little that that third party can do. In this case, it's not very different. There are ways that we're using you know, Meta's open source Llama, there are ways that we're playing around with ChatGPT and Claude and different systems. We don't believe there's any aspect of a third party being able to utilize and manipulate data that we're passing to them, but it's because we've always taken this approach. Other companies though, if you feed all of your information to one system, you wanna think about what is that system? What are they using it for? What are their their policies? And I would say they're not generally as bad as your you know, gut instinct might be, but you just want to look that up. You want to know, where is this going? And that's true for everything. It's true for companies who did Facebook Connect years ago and didn't realize that they were giving Facebook data that they might not have thought about, or people who run Google ads and analytics in their website and might not re- realize that Google is getting access to information. It's really just the way the internet is built. To me, it's not a new problem, but it's just another reason to be aware of what you're doing.
0: As we wrap up here, guys, and we got like five minutes here because, again, we talked about last time we could spend hours on this. I'm going to ask generically, and 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 y'all can fight over who wants to answer first. If we're taking this private, this means, right, it's more secure, certainly. in In my head, that inherently means it's smaller or less capable. If it is a private large language model, is a private AI dumber? <laughs> is it less capable? I guess I'll step in
1: first. I know that the, these guys probably have an opinion. I'd say, no, it's definitely not dumber. It's probably smarter and more capable as specific to you and your own use case. Um, so it all depends on what you're feeding it. Um, you know, if you're not feeding it any data or anything, it's not going to have anything to analyze or, or build off of. But if if you go into, let's say, a legal scenario and you load in all those cases and, and anything specific with regards to um, history, as well as maybe client info etc um, you know that would be very specific to your needs and give you back what what would be more articulate than I'd say anything that you'd find publicly um, that's one of the benefits of having your own instance let's say of something called the, like Microsoft copilot is it's all your data and it's specific to what you need and that's how you can leverage it as a competitive advantage in market by, basically skilling up your organization on how to use that tool to its greatest advantage versus your competitor who might be also using Copilot but might not be trained or or feeding it the data in the same way that you would.
0: I like that. There's an old computer term, garbage in, garbage out. So if you don't feed it, Marianne basically
2: said everything I was about to say, but um, so she's spot on, I, and and that's why I keep saying AI training, right? Because we have to train the system, and we're um, someone used the ter- the uh, coined the term uh, a walled garden the other day, right? Um, so you're you're still a lot of flowers, right? A lot of plant, um, but um, it's uh, it's it's we're we're training it on a specific database, but the generative AI can respond in any way in in within that database, so it's it's. It's really intelligent, it's really fast, and, and it's it's conversational, interactive around what you're training it to to have the flexibility to respond to you at, right? So it's not creating those hallucinations. It's not going out, which could end up being dumber, right? Because then it could give you bad cases that don't exist, right? It can just make things up. Like like I think, I, I don't know if I, I referenced this in the last podcast, but I think uh, an Australian minister or something sued TBT because it said that um when he his bio when someone looked him up and said he was arrested for like sexual harassment or something like that and he's suing chat gbt for that fake wrong data that was made up at nowhere so training and confining the chat gbt into a specific set of databases will only make it more intelligent in its responses and how it's generating those responses
3: yeah so I, i agree with what everyone's saying i just want to add on um years ago when we were starting to build out ai models for doing automatic speech recognition and natural language processing and all sorts of things the the problem was not just that we didn't have the algorithms we have today or not just that we didn't have the hardware and the gpus that we have today the problem was that the training data was not readily available and so when you think about what really enabled something like chat gpt to take off chat gpt was allegedly and i believe this is true but allegedly built on a parameter count of over a billion parameters. And then what made GPT-4 even better was it took it up to like a trillion parameters. It was a a huge parameter count. Well, if you're building a private GPT type engine, a large language model with an open source system, Meta's Llama 2 is probably the, the best out there, at least from what I've seen. And I believe Microsoft is a partner in this as well. Llama 2 is trained on something like, I think it's 70 or 80 billion parameters. And so it's not necessarily going to do what GPT-4 does, but it gives someone a base level, a base model of a really high parameter count. Basically, all the world's information, you know, crawling the websites, Wikipedia, that's what allows it to know, you know, who is the person that was playing third base in the World Series in 1976 or whatever, you know, that information's all out there. And so you're starting off with the model that's already incredibly, incredibly brilliant, and then you're fine tuning, then you're adding your own personal information. That's where to me, it's not that the model is dumber, but more specific. It's actually really smart and really specific. But the last thing I wanna mention is it's not all about parameter count. It's not just about having a lot of generic data. What we're doing at Josh AI is a multimodal approach where we basically say when a query comes in, it's not always the right thing to send it to a GPT model. So for example, these large language models are not necessarily great at math. We have really good math models. They're also not good at real-time data. They don't know the weather in Aspen, Colorado right now. They don't know the Netflix ID if I want to get Breaking Bad on the TV in the living room. And so in you know, a normal example, what I mean is when someone says, what time is it? We don't go to AI to give you the time. We have a clock in the computer. We give you the time. If someone says, watch Breaking Bad, we figure out the Breaking Bad Netflix ID and we turn on the TV and we route everything and it does that. But if someone says, tell me about the show Breaking Bad and why was it created and who are the main characters? Well, in that case, GPT is going to be wonderful. And so this approach, it's a multimodal approach. If you need different algorithms to solve different problems, that's the way that these systems get really smart. And so I think we need to remember AI and in this case, generative AI and something like a chat GPT, that needs to just be one piece of what you're doing if you want to build the smartest possible system.
0: That'll be a good place to stop us, uh, Marin. Very good, nice, not nice to see you again, uh, Marin Corrigan, uh, of course from our friends at Microsoft. Uh, how can people connect with you?
1: Uh, best probably on LinkedIn. I think I, I mentioned it last time. I've got a uh, every Friday 9 a.m. Eastern, selling Microsoft Teams rooms. I'm specific to Microsoft Teams, but. I would say definitely keep an eye on Microsoft Copilot and Microsoft Teams Premium. Those are the two um, applications that I work with most closely when it comes to the world of uh, meetings and how to embed AI into those using hardware. So lots of really fun and exciting announcements coming up. Um, the biggest one we have is around Microsoft Ignite, which you can sign up for today. Yep. It is actually registration now available as of last week. So make sure you go ahead and check that out.
0: All right. Very good. Uh, Tomerman Munn uh, from 22miles. How, how do people connect with you, sir? 22miles.com or my
2: LinkedIn. But since we last spoke, um, we've actually created our own new AI uh, landing page in our website. So now there's a whole new page devoted to, to our AI assistant capabilities and we keep enhancing it. So, um, yeah, like I said, we're all in. So feel free, 22miles.com.
0: All right. Very good. And of course, uh, Alex Caposolatro uh, from Josh AI. How can people connect with you, sir?
3: Any of the channels are great LinkedIn, Instagram. I don't really use Twitter or X or whatever it's called anymore, but you can try me there um, or just alex at josh.ai.
0: Alrighty. Uh, I think technically legally, otherwise, um, you know, Musk will find me. We have to refer to it as X Um, uh, for me, for Tim Albright. Don't find me on X or Twitter, Uh, but go by the website avianation.tv. That's avianation.tv. You'll find this program and a host of others, including the previous version of that, where I think we tackled two other questions. We'll do this again, kids. Um, So go by the website avianation.tv. It's avianation.tv. Thanks so much for listening. That is all the time we have for this avianation special